Brick Moon Fiction presents I Am the Road by Eric Del Carlo Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle My toes graze the abused asphalt. I am poised. I am balanced to a razor's fineness. I am on the balls of my feet and waiting, waiting to spring. I don't know how to talk to you when you're like this. Under other, more familiar circumstances, that would be a trite line of dialogue in the melodrama of our marriage. I don't know how to talk to you when you're like this. Spoken in exasperation, a passive-aggressive put-down, one of a hundred overly habitual bits from the hackneyed script of our lives together. But Vanna didn't mean it in the classic sense of the phrase. There was no animosity or frustration in her tone. For one thing, we didn't fight in front of the children, which didn't, not for an instant, mean they didn't know the full scope of the simmering enmity between us. Vanna meant her words literally. She genuinely did not know how to go about speaking to me when I was jacked into our new vehicle like I was. You can just talk, I said easily. It's no more distracting than if I was driving a regular car. We sat in the forward seats, which were plush. The windshield was more a cockpit canopy, wrapping the whole front of the big, immensely sturdy transport. The wheels were massive, capable of independent movement and tough enough to withstand any terrain. We sat high up. But I felt the ground beneath my feet, under my naked soles. I was ready to launch myself, to vault forward, to flex every iota of speed and strength. It just... Vanna gestured a bit helplessly. Doesn't seem safe. I chuckled. It sounded a bit rusty, but it was a genuine laugh. I hadn't laughed much this past year. It's a hell of a lot safer than any other means of transportation. I nodded ahead. The street led to the road, which unspooled into the distance. Even along the stretch that we could see, dust devils whirled, with lots of airborne debris. There were patches of light and darkness, where the tirelessly moving microstorms crossed the landscape. Once upon a time, the joke had been, if you don't like the weather... Wait an hour. Now it was, if you don't like the weather, blink. The kids sat silently behind us, in the roomy passenger cabin. Yet the vehicle was still spacious enough to carry our worldly possessions as well, everything we meant to keep. I'd told them the Megacorp which had hired me had a furnished house waiting for us. We would live in luxury. We didn't need more than a tenth of the junk we owned. I felt no qualms about abandoning it and our previous home. No one was going to buy it anyway. This was a red region, subject to some of the worst of the worst climatic conditions in the nation. This very expensive, very state-of-the-art vehicle was all we would need for the time being. I felt the wind on my skin, but nothing penetrated. No leaks, no cracks, nothing left unsealed. We were secure inside the military-grade metaplastic hull, I drew a deep breath, and the heavy-duty engine thrummed to life. The great wheeled beast purred with all the contentment and alertness of a jungle cat. Vanna looked around anxiously. I smiled at her, though really it was the vehicle I was smiling for. She had doubted. She doubted still. She could go on doubting if she liked. But I was jacked into this machine, and it was wholly under my control. Everybody ready? I sang out. There was something almost Eisenhower-era about this setup. The nuclear family. Father and mother. The two children. A boy and a girl. 
about to embark on a life-changing odyssey in the family vehicle. The kids made vague, non-committal sounds. They were Ken and Kitha, thirteen and fifteen, co-conspirators in an effort to find me embarrassing and unworthy. The past year had been rough on them, too, with the hit our household budget had taken when my job evaporated. But they'd taken that out on me. They were quite alike in appearance, both with Vanna's skin tones and facial bone structure. They sometimes passed themselves off as twins. Both were having boyfriend problems. That was just too bad. Vanna tried smiling back at me, but it was a lockjaw expression, with no warmth or trust in the eyes. I set us in motion, down the driveway of our shut-up house, past all the other homes on the block covered in dented plastic. The street was pitted, but the vehicle's wheels adjusted for each dip. Inside, we sat in comfort. There were no controls before me, nothing for my hands to do. I folded them in a tranquil attitude and guided us through the jack. We rumbled smoothly toward the roadway and up onto it, leaving our old lives behind for good. The sky rolled over us. It was a waterfall. It was an ocean. It tumbled with dust and rain and occasional sizable chunks of wreckage. The winds could pick up astonishing things from the ground and hurl them aloft with a vicious whimsy. The cyclonic patterns never entirely rested. Red regions were like this. The problem, one of the problems, was that such areas were spreading. The government and media were desperately trying to keep alive the myth of the red regions as isolated anomalies, as containable zones. But the weather was winning. It didn't affect us as I piloted us down the road. Even if the air had been still and the sun shining, a normal vehicle probably couldn't handle this surface anymore. Fast erosion was at work, and there were neither the resources nor the will to maintain these old cross-country highways. Vanna still hadn't relaxed. The absence of a steering wheel and brakes disconcerted her. Maybe on some level she didn't even really believe I was controlling the massive machine. That was probably reflex on her part. She had blamed me for the loss of my job, even though it was a common tale of woe in this economy. It had certainly come as a shock when I'd told her about the megacorp that had specifically recruited me, offering the huge salary and perks. Even though the boon solved all our troubles, I knew some part of her wanted to be resentful and bitter, simply out of habit. She could have taken a cue from Kitha and Ken and presented me with adolescent mopiness. The old home was already far behind us. We were well down the road. I guided us along the faintly marked lanes. I hadn't traveled like this in some time. The velocity felt good. The accumulating distances pleased me. I felt deserving of every meter that fled under our enormous wheels. The emptiness of the roadway, however, was a bit unnerving. The highway ran flat. Scoured plains flanked it, with bruised mountains in the distance. Rain and sometimes hail lashed the canopy and roof. The winds howled, coming from every direction. But the vehicle's gimbals met and compensated for every buffet, each burst of unruly weather. In the back, the kids had switched on the video. They had a passion for antiquated TV shows. By the haircuts and clothes, those long-sleeved shirts worn underneath regular T-shirts, I guess they were sampling something from the aughts, 
The sitcoms and dramas depicted a world neither of them had ever known. I didn't know if it was the quaintness of the show or a lurid fascination that drew them. Surely the foibles and tragedies on display must seem fantastically petty now. Then again, they'd had myself and their mother to observe for many years, so perhaps they were used to senseless strife. It hadn't always been bad between Vanna and me. Of course it hadn't. But life had squeezed us, and we hadn't been as strong together as we had thought. Too bad for us. The vehicle functioned without a hitch. I had mentally flexed all its parts, experienced the smooth running of every moving piece. We plowed through the chaotic weather conditions, implacable, unstoppable. With a smile that I kept to myself, just a hard notching at one corner of my mouth, I exercised the jack installed in my head. I sent out the signal, just as I had planned. Hopefully, we wouldn't be alone out here for much longer. The megacorporations would survive. More importantly, to them anyway, the rarefied few who owned and controlled the vast financial entities would survive, despite the depleted economy, despite the climate irregularities. Hell, all this might help them, in spite of the disruption to manufacturing and distribution. An apocalypse visible outside the window kept the peasants on edge. They were easier to manipulate that way. People would believe all sorts of distortions and endure every manner of hardship under the properly foreboding conditions, so long as they believed things could always get worse. And really, if the weather hadn't gone totally batshit, I wouldn't be driving this car. When I had been arranging for the vehicle, I had learned of the new roadway culture which had been coming to slow life out in these hinterlands. Vehicles like this were constructed in direct reply to the assaults of nature. One might argue that humankind had set the climate on its course, but in the years since, the increasingly frenzied weather systems had struck us back. Now it was our turn again. Thus, this jacked-in tank. Also thus, the new society of the road, still forming, still coalescing. A social order like no other, but one which, I thought, fit our times succinctly. And I was to be a part of it, while it was still germinating. I had never been out ahead of anything in my life. I was no pioneer. I had never visited any cutting edge. Always I'd plodded in the pack, tramping ground made familiar by the generations that had come before. Though there was still no other traffic on the buckled surface of the road, wrecks dotted the shoulders now and then. These were transports inadequate to the conditions. They lay stripped of paint, some nearly smashed flat. I wondered if the bodies of the drivers and passengers were still inside. Had we come to that, as a nation? As a collective people? Did we leave corpses where they fell now? Ahead, a lightning storm burst into existence. Immense umbrellas of blinding blue electricity unfolded over the road, spitting forks stabbed at the ground. Vanna gasped. The kids stayed quiet. I almost hoped for one of the great frothing stalks to hit us. This vehicle was designed to withstand just such an onslaught. I would feel that lightning lick my body. I would ripple with its primal power. But we passed through. A short time later, a fresh windstorm sprang up, blowing at hurricane strength. I felt the slam of that wind. It searched for any way into our vehicle, any purchase on its surface, 
visibility was terrible, but I was seeing far beyond normal sight. One of the roadside wrecks was lifted high into the black and gray swirl. I watched it spinning, then dropping straight toward us. At the last second, I dodged us to the left, and the dead vehicle hit the roadbed with a lavish crunch of metal and metaplastic. At the steering wheel of a more conventional car, I wouldn't have been able to react in time. I grinned. Vanna had seen the nearby impact. She turned to me, wide-eyed. Are you enjoying this? She tried to hold it to a whisper, because her tone was the sort she used when we were on the cusp of a fight. My hands were still folded on my lap, but I felt as if every muscle and tendon in me was being stretched and taxed, and that exertion felt good. After a year of defeat and idleness, I was actually doing something. I said to my wife, You bet I'm enjoying it. Behind us, on the video, ancient canned laughter told our children when a joke had been made. I didn't listen. I was eagerly awaiting a response to my signal. What is that? Vanna suddenly wanted to know. She sat forward, peering through the canopy. We'd had another half hour of rapidly shifting conditions. At one point, for nearly sixty seconds, a patch of pure blue sky had passed over us, with nary a flutter of wind nor roll of thunder. I saw what Vanna saw, but I saw it better, with clarity, with keen anticipation. My signal had received the courtesy of a reply several minutes ago. I had studied this subculture into which I meant to initiate myself, and a response such as I had gotten was within the bounds of proper etiquette. The shape was on the road, ahead. It was coming toward us. It's coming toward us, Vanna helpfully affirmed. I kept up a steady acceleration. Kids, I said, put your safety harnesses on. I only meant to say it the one time. I was slipping into mine as I spoke. Vanna did the same. I imagined her face, once quite pretty, before permanent dissatisfaction lined it, torn with confusion and growing fear. But my senses were elsewhere. Snow was flurrying across the roadway, the wind whipping it sideways. I recognized the hulking outline of the approaching vehicle. It wasn't the same make as what I was piloting, but the general configuration was very similar. Conditions necessitated a basic design, if the machine were to endure out here. We were both battleships, both wheeled strongholds, and now we were closing on each other. I increased speed, feeling the thrum of the engine as I did my own heartbeat. The snow raked across our paths. The other vehicle made minor adjustments as it came on, and I saw the individual turnings of its wheels. Vanna was saying something else as I hit the roof lights. The strobes were intensely powerful, making a monochromatic tableau of the road scene. He, he, why did I think this other was a male, countered instantly with a wavering band of searing red. My canopy compensated, tinting out the most disorienting effects. I kept a feather touch on the guidance. He did the same, it seemed. At the last moment before head-on impact, we both, by seeming mutual consent, parried out of each other's way. I saw and heard and felt and virtually tasted his vehicle as it rumbled past. What's going on? One or the other of the kids wanted to know. I heard the petulance in the voice, and beneath that, the start of fear. Good. They both needed a little authentic fear in their lives. 
Vanna had reached over and was tugging on my arm, demanding answers. I maintained my warrior zen state. I slowed and brought the vehicle about, letting it slide a little on the icy surface just for style. My opponent was slewing around as well, showing an equal mastery of his landcraft. We charged again. This time, I brought out the guns. They popped out of their caches on our armored flanks. When I willed them to loose their first salvo, Vanna fairly screamed. She'd know nothing about the weaponry, of course. My adversary was firing back. I felt the shells pinging off my skin, the jolts of contact resonating through my flesh, though nothing pierced me. We passed one another again, with guns blazing. The road remained empty of any other travelers. We, of course, were more than mere wayfarers. We were the new legends. We were knights errant, unlanded samurai. A code informed us. Maybe it was a new code, with the ink not yet dry, but we would make our mark. History would know us. We could be something greater than all the rest of the horror surrounding us, the gone-mad climate, the avaricious megacorps, the soul-crushing economic circumstances. Our fight was pure. Win or lose, we were already immortal. I finally had to shake Vanna off my arm as her fingers were digging deep into my flesh. Ken and Kitha were yelling frantically over each other. I raised the translucent partition that locked them soundlessly into the rear passenger cabin. Enough of their noise. We were circling, my competitor and I. Bullets chattered, lights blared. He squirted a slick silicone under my wheels. I launched a haze bomb that enveloped him entirely for several seconds. We each recovered from these feints. Now we were side by side, racing in the direction I'd originally been taking us, toward our dream destination of wealth and security. We swiped against each other as we sped along. Sparks flew. One of my wheels sustained damage, but I kept us moving levelly. Our machines were well matched. The snow turned to sleet. Lightning, impossible red bolts of it, lit the scene ahead. We were approaching a cloverleaf, one of the old highway interchanges, with various lanes looping up and around and roads intertwining, built to accommodate armies of traffic. My adversary banked sharply away. We split up. Turn around, Vanna screamed. Run away from this crazy person, for Christ's sake. Her hysteria was just background clamor. I was within the vehicle. It was jacked into my very being. I looked around for my foe. We went under the crumbling arm of an overpass. Red columns of frenzied electricity reached down from the roiling clouds. I turned onto an on-ramp, climbing now. The sleet had iced the pavement, but it was already melting in the quick vagaries of the microstorm's temperature changes. Sheets of water splashed up around my wheels. I saw him on another overpass, running almost parallel to mine. He was speeding the opposite way, but we both got off a chugging series of volleys. My shots glinted gratifyingly on his hide. He slipped out of my view. I swept onto another limb of the cloverleaf. A chunk of the outer lip of the roadway was missing. It was a wonder this complex structure was still standing at all. I checked myself for damage. I'd been marred, but I remained fully functional. We came down off the overpass. Near the bottom the road had buckled somewhat, and a small lake's worth of water had accumulated in the dip, 
We hit it at terrific speed, and a cascade exploded upward and over us. I felt the cool smacks of the water. The other vehicle hurtled toward us from the right. It had come around and lain in wait. Shells hit my side, heavy rounds, leaving divots, starting to penetrate further. I caught only a glimpse of the wheeled monster as it closed relentlessly toward us. I swiveled my right side gun, and a few shots went wide. Then it hit us. The armored front end of my opponent clipped my side at just such an angle as to send me into a 180-degree spin. The impact was jarring, brutal. I would have been hurled against the canopy if it weren't for my harness. The collision was painful, severe, but I still had mobility after a fashion. I accelerated, obeying the animal instinct, opting in the moment for flight over fight. We raced back up onto the overpass. He was behind me. I felt the growl of his engine. His guns nipped at me. I was fleeing now, outmatched, virtually limping along no matter how hard I pushed for speed. He gained. I fell back. He slid up on my flank. I couldn't turn my gun on that side anymore. The housing had crumpled. Why is this happening? Vanna shrieked. She didn't understand. Not any of it. This was the one immaculate act of my existence. To duel with a worthy rival was the ultimate engagement with life. Even before I had lost my job, I had been dead. A lifeless, shambling creature. Now I was fantastically alive. I was vital. I mattered. We were nearly side by side as we reached the top of the arch of the overpass. I continued to hobble forward, but I had saved a final burst. I threw the vehicle to the side, turning all the wheels at once. We hit him, bumping him, crashing against him. He had his feet under him, jacked as he must be into his own machine, but I had struck at just the right point. His front wheel suddenly spun on empty air. He was at the brink of the gap left by the missing chunk of roadway. Then he was over the crumbled edge. The great wheeled beast lurched and tipped and fell. Seconds later, I heard its impact, far below. I slowed. I stopped. Lightning blazed. It was like processional fanfare, like triumphal fireworks. I was the victor. I spared my worthy adversary a few honoring silent words. Vanna was silent too now. She was numbed with shock, tears coursing her cheeks. She had come through uninjured. If Kitha and Ken had listened to me about their safety harnesses, they too would be all right behind the partition. I didn't look back. They had believed the ludicrous fairy tale. I hadn't been at all confident they would. Megacorps didn't aggressively recruit out-of-work mid-management types like me. I was dross. I was chaff, blown away by the new cutthroat economy. I'd had to liquidate everything we had in order to obtain this vehicle. We weren't heading for a new, luxurious home. We had already arrived at our destination. This was the road, and the road was all. I am the road. Grinning, I sent out another signal, calling my next honorable antagonist to me. Eric Del Carlo has been selling his fiction for over two decades. His short stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and many, many other venues. His novels, both solo and collaborative, 
have been published by Ace Books, Dark Star Books, Loose Id, and other houses. His latest book is The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, and is currently available from White Cat Publishing. Eric is a native Californian and a Hurricane Katrina refugee. Find him on Facebook for comments and questions. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.